welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with author David Gillum. David is the New York Times bestselling author of City of Women. He studied screenwriting at the University of Southern California before transitioning into fiction. After moving to New York City, David spent more than a decade in the book business. He now lives with his family in western Massachusetts. In writing his new novel, Annalise, he spent six years researching Anne Frank and her world, immersing himself in the available material and traveling to important landmarks of her life. Welcome, David. Thank you. Great to have you here. Um, it's, it's wonderful that you could be in the studio. You're more or less local, yes? That's correct. I've been in Amherst for 20 years. Yeah, um, and writing from Amherst? Yes, that's right. An inspiring place to write from, yeah? Very much so. I love the place. Yeah. So um, let me just jump right in with you. You um, are about to be published, um, Annalise. Um, tell me a little bit about It's a really interesting book, and I think it's got an interesting story probably that led you to telling or writing this work. Well, it, it started actually quite a number of decades ago. Um, I had not read Anne's diary uh, in in middle school where a, a lot of people I know were introduced to it. Um, I hadn't read it until I was in my 20s and I read Philip Roth's The Ghostwriter. And in The Ghostwriter there's a character. It's the first time that Nathan Zuckerman is, is introduced as, as, uh, as Roth's main character. And in it he meets a young woman, a refugee from Europe, who in his mind he decides is actually Anne Frank. Um, and uh, has a, a small fantasy about this. And, and in the end, of course, he realizes that it wasn't Anne Frank, that it was just his imagination at work. But I had not read Anne's Diary, and I loved that book, so I immediately picked up Anne's Diary afterwards, and, and I was simply thunderstruck by it. Uh, I, I, was, I was overcome reading the work of this young girl. She was 13 when she started it, 15 uh, at the final entry, um, and how she matured and how she actually became uh, uh, a serious writer. Um, something that I, I really think is important that we give her her due about, that she wasn't just precocious. By the time she was 15, <laughs> she was the real thing. She was a writer. And then, of course, the tragedy of her arrest and eventual death. Um, I knew back in my 20s that I wanted to write something about Anne Frank. And uh, I, I tried to then, but I just didn't have the horses back then. Um, I found that I was writing characters around her and that the action was being carried by everybody else. I was even making up characters in order to carry the action, and I realized that I just, I just couldn't do it back then. So I put it aside, put the idea aside. Um, and then it wasn't, it was about 18 years ago that I picked up the idea again, tried it once more, and once again, it didn't quite work. I felt I came a little closer that time. Um, but finally, after my first book, City of Women, was, uh, was published and I was thinking about what I was going to do next, I decided to pick up the idea again. And this time I was thinking, well, what would happen, what would have happened, had she actually survived? How would she have dealt with all the questions that uh, we have uh, about 
overcoming such uh, such trauma. And of course, the the central line in her diary, the most famous, is um, where she says that basically she still believes, even after everything that's happened in the war, that people are good at heart. And I've seen many people in many articles, etc., ask the question, would she still have thought that? So I thought that was a compelling question to answer. And I realize I should have started out for our listeners to say that this is a work of fiction in which you imagine what would have happened had she survived. That's right. Yeah. So in coming to the story, you obviously are drawn to her as a writer, uh, as, a, as a woman who endured and wrote about it, as you say, very well. Um, were you also trying to come to some kind of resolution in terms of the history of it? What is what is the writing of a survivor? Well, I doubt that we could ever actually come to a, re- a resolution about what happened, about the Holocaust, and about what it was like to have survived. Um, I think we just need to continue asking the same questions over and over again, quite honestly. Um, one of the things, I mean, I, I think I'm drawn to the the sheer humanity of the Holocaust, uh, you know, the loss, the, and the loss on such an unimaginable scale uh, is compelling. And how we, how we let it happen, uh, why it happened, and how can we be sure it's not going to happen again, I think those are the questions that need to be asked again and again and again. And do you put yourself into sort of... Um it must be hard to imagine what what she would have evolved into. You know what her writing would have done, what her where her life would have taken her. Was it hard to put yourself into that place? Well, it was hard to um, to approach the icon of Anne Frank. It was very difficult, and I wanted to be sure from the very beginning that I was doing so in a in a in a, in a very respectful way not only of Anne, but of all the millions, um, and uh, kept in mind you know, the, the legacy of that tragedy as I began. So th- that part was very difficult. Um, as far as the characters were go, uh, went, once I established the actual, my version of these characters, these fictional characters, sometimes identified you know, with real people, on her sister Margot, her father Otto, who's known as Pim throughout the book. Um, once I had them fixed in my head, then I just pursued them as I would any character. Um, and I'm somebody who, uh, <laughs> I, I've had, I had a friend of mine to talk about, uh, there were two types of writers, those who plot and those who uh, write by the seat of their pants. Um, I'm definitely a pantser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, uh, once I have a, have fixed a character and put them into the fictional situation, I try to give them their head as much as possible and, and I follow them in a way. Um, and so, so I did so with, uh, my character of Anne and, and, uh, and, and tried to, uh, to put her in the situation where she was faced with such loss and pain and guilt and how to deal with that, especially at such a young age, because 
in in the story when she comes back to Amsterdam she is uh, 16 so you mentioned that you sort of came to the idea of writing this a few times and then the time uh, revealed itself as being right any thoughts on why that was I think I finally became a a good enough writer to be able to at least attempt it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, su- you succeeded at that because it's a great read. Well, thank um, you. And I'm curious, you also say that you are sort of a seat of the pants. So you begin this journey, um, and did it end the way you imagined um, in terms of telling the story and and. and what you imagined would have happened? You know, um, normally when I sit down to write, I have a premise and I have a couple of characters and I have a kind of ghostly idea of where I'm going in the end. Not specifically how it's going to end, but generally the direction of the climax. Or um, This time, I didn't really have that. And that actually, I think... Um, made the the book uh, more challenging to write. It took me six and a half years to write this book, which is a a long Mm. time. Um, And there were false starts even within those six and a half years where I had, I mean, the first two versions were over a thousand pages long. Wow. So I had to go back and say, okay, where's the story? Where where am I going with this? What what I can't have it be this long. Where, and so it took a while to be able to s- sort of sculpt the story of uh, that I thought I could tell best, which was is basically Anne in Amsterdam, trying to come to terms with what happened and trying to come to terms with how she's going to handle it and how that conflicts with um, with other people, her father included. How much did you have to immerse yourself in sort of the history of the time and and to imagine w- what her world was like beyond her diary mm-hmm. and, and what the possibilities might have held for her? Well, I would go back to the diary, first of all, over and over. Um, but it was immersive, and um, I'm an amateur historian. I I already knew a fair amount about the Second World War and a fair amount about the Holocaust. Um, but I also, I went to Amsterdam twice. Um, I went to her, uh, the Anne Frank house. Um, I, sis- I had the, the uh, uh, lucky break in that I was allowed to actually go and visit the apartment where the Franks lived before they went into hiding. So I could, I could see that... Uh, you know the 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 window where she sticks her head out the window when one day when a wedding is being filmed is the only known footage of Anne Frank, and you can see her put taking putting her head out the window, looking at these this the wedding procession. Um, uh, I went to uh, Amsterdam. I explored all the different parts of Amsterdam, the the old diamond district, um, the Transvaal, where which was a. a, a a Jewish district that was basically uh, um, destroyed because the residents were taken away. And then in the final uh, winter of the war, when people were freezing, they were desperate for firewood and they stripped all the wood out of the houses and the houses collapsed. So it was turned into a ruins. 
um, which I use in the book. And, uh, and then I went to the camps. I went to Vesterbork, where they were sent in the transit camp. Um, I went to Birkenau. Um, I went to Bergen-Belsen, where she and Margot died. Um, and then I went back to Amsterdam a second time and uh, did more research and just tried to, as you said, immerse myself in the, uh, in the place and in, and in the time as much as I possibly could. And I'm curious, and I, I always say I don't want to do a, have to do a spoiler alert because I think people want to read the story mm-hmm. and come to it fresh. So I don't want to say where it goes and how it goes. Um, but did you, I'm curious, did you read the diary again after you were finished and did it have a whole different read to you or was there a different takeaway? Or maybe you didn't do that. Uh, I didn't read the entire diary again after I was finished because I felt like I was living with it for those six mm-hmm. and a half years. But I think sort of to answer your question in a way is that I did feel like I was living <laughs> with it for six mm-hmm. and a half years. And my understanding and my feeling for it changed in that I felt closer to it. I felt closer to her, quite honestly, uh, while um, I was reading it by the end of the book. And this may be a silly question or a, or a naive question, but what what did you feel in terms of writing this and any again it's not I'm not sure that this is the right word obligation to her in a sense um, to to build her story. Oh, I think obligation is exactly the right word. Um, I felt a very deep obligation to to Anne to to get it right to the best of my ability to portray her in a way that I thought was authentic at least to my understanding of her and her diary um, again I don't want to get into mm-hmm. a spoiler yeah. uh, um, and say too much but um, I, I f- it was it was a heavy obligation and I mean I, r- I wrote the book for a few reasons First of all, I wanted to, as I said before, I wanted to remind people of Anne Frank and remind her, remind people of what a, what a terrific writer she actually was um, in telling her story in this way, in this fictionalized way. Um, and then I wanted, honestly, to give her the chance to live a life that she was cheated of from, you know. Um, and then finally to you know in telling that story for Anne I wanted to remind all of us of the multitude of Anne's that vanished into history whose name we may never remember but whose life was snuffed out at an early age and by telling Anna's story in this way uh, to tell all their stories again. You know, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, I remember reading Anne Frank's diary when uh-huh. I was really young, and it was really haunting um, because yes. I identified with her almost at that same age, and I, uh, it was unimaginable. And, again, it's interesting that you've chosen to sort of um, expand on or tease out who she was because I think it's an iconic name. And how much, how deep do we really go in terms of understanding the strength, the resolve, the talent that she had. Right. And that again, like I said, was was is one of the reasons I wanted to 
to write the book. I mean, I'm a fiction writer, so I, I head toward fiction. Um, and to remind everybody that she wasn't simply just a tragic figure. You know, she wasn't just a precocious young woman who wrote a, a, a diary and whose life ended too soon and that, you know, her voice uh, remains as the all that remains. Um, I wanted to point out again that she was, in fact, really talented and that her writing alone is worth the respect and the, uh, uh, the adoration that, uh, that she often gets as an icon. Well, I know it was a long journey writing it. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for writing it. Um, and curious if I can ask you, um, well, you're just sort of, this is just fledging this work because it's um, being published. Um, and it will be available January? January 15th. January 15th. And you will be here at the Yiddish Book Center. I will be. I will be you. launching it here. We're I'm looking forward to that. We're, we're very delighted to um, be hosting that evening here. And have you already set on to another book or... You're giving yourself a few months to figure out what's next? Well, I, I am thinking about a few other ideas. Uh, nothing has come to uh, fruition yet. Um, I know there is an interesting story about the pack horse librarians of the Great Depression, women who uh, were hired for like a dollar a day to, uh, to pack books into saddlebags and ride into very, very... Um, uh, unreachable communities in eastern Kentucky in order to give people the opportunity to have books during the Depression. It was a federal government program. And I just happened to come across it uh, on NPR, hear about it on NPR, and it struck me. And so I'm thinking about some sort of story for that, but we'll see. Fascinating. Is that sort of like the early days of what I grew up with, the bookmobile? Yes, that's exactly right. It was an early version of the bookmobile, except you know, it was these women, and they were all women, on horses and mules riding through uh, very, very uh, difficult terrain to get to to uh, isolated populations. Well, um, good luck with that. Thank um, you. You're a great storyteller, um, and you. I really appreciate your popping in today. And again, the book is Annalise by David R. Gillum, and it's published by Viking Publishers, um, and it will be available here at the Yiddish Book Center in our English-language bookstore as well as online and through booksellers throughout the country. Thank you, David, and uh, you. drop by with the next book. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I will. Okay, bye-bye. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a podcast of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Mass. I am Ollie Schmidt, Supervisor of Building and Grounds here at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode 117, Jewish Champions in the Golden Age of Boxing, where author and boxing historian Mike Silver talks about Jewish boxers and how becoming a boxer helped them to assimilate to a new life in the United States. Zeit mir stark und gesund. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.